0: The dirty little secret about digital marketing that no one wants to tell you is this, and it's true for everyone, it's true for you, it's true for me. SEO, social media and content marketing are just pieces of a much larger puzzle. You need to understand how they fit together. Schwartzmann author of the Digital Pivot, and this is the Earned Media Podcast. Richard Carufel has been the editor in chief of Bulldog Reporter for over 20 years. When I first started reading Bulldog Reporter, it was a newsletter that you subscribe to, it came in the mail. Um, today it's online. And it is one of the most respected uh, and um, uh, informed news media outlets about the business of public relations, public affairs, and marketing communications. He asked me to put together a special webinar uh, for his readers on the subject of owned media. And I spoke about the sequence of owned, shared, earned, and paid um, as I cover in my book, The Digital Pivot, but I really went deep into owned media in this particular webinar. It's around 40 minutes, and this is a simulcast of that webinar, and I'm going to play it for you in its entirety after this. I'm Richard Carafell, editor of Bulldog Reporter, one of the web's
1: leading sources of PR and marketing communications news and insights. He is a digital marketing consultant, entrepreneur, and best-selling author of The Digital Pivot, Secrets of Online Marketing and Social Marketing to the Business Customer. He is a demand generation and conversion optimization advisor to professional services providers and e-commerce companies. Through strategic planning workshops, off-sites, one-on-one mentoring and training workshops, and customer success events, he helps agencies and
0: clients pivot to digital marketing strategies and tactics. Well, it's great to be here, here with you today to talk about the art of the digital pivot. I'm going to talk today about why some companies succeed and others fail online. I'm going to show you some real-world examples from campaigns I've been managing for clients over the last six months. And I'm going to show you why owned is the new earned media opportunity. I think it's a really good time to be in PR because demand for communicators who understand the difference between editorial and promotional content significantly exceeds supply in the marketplace right now. So let's get started. Digital marketing is kind of like the California gold rush of the modern ages. And search engine optimization is its mantra. Now, um, search engine optimization, or SEO, is the art and science of producing content that's discoverable through Google organic search. And these are the algorithmic results that Google displays in search result pages. Um, So SEO refers to Google's natural search results rather than paid search results, which are Google Ads. And there's a big difference between the two. Right? You can buy a number one ranking in Google Ads. Uh, but you have to earn it in organic rankings, uh, which you do by producing and publishing elite level content on your own website. So organic has visibility and credibility uh, that paid does not, much like a media placement has a sense of impartiality that advertising does not. Uh, But back to the gold rush for a minute. Of the thousands of prospectors who set out to stake their claim. Very few actually found gold, but a guy named Sam Brennan made the equivalent of $4 million a month selling picks and shovels. Today, there are more digital marketing gurus selling advice than there are businesses making money online. But there are some who have found a way to compete in the age of Amazon. This presentation is about how to become one of them. In many ways, a digital pivot is like a ballerina turning on toe point. No one would take a ballet master seriously who promised students they'd be principal dancers in the New York City Ballet in a four hour work week because it's understood that mastery of this centuries old art form comes through well-defined stages of training. It takes practice and stamina to master. And there's a logical order to getting there. Digital business, on the other hand, is in its infancy. So there's a ton of confusion about how to pivot to digital communications. Organizations that struggle to get it right usually fail for the same reasons. They apply the steps out of sequence. The fact is you need to to learn to walk before you can run. Like a young dancer who rushes out eager to spin in her first pair of toe shoes only to come tumbling down, most businesses pull back the curtain on digital initiatives before they're ready to convert traffic into opportunities and opportunities into results. It's not that difficult to learn to pivot to digital but you do need to understand the footwork. For 20 years, I led two day workshops for the Public Relations Society of America on pivoting to digital. Chances are some of you listening in this webinar here today attended one of them. And these were hands-on sessions where people would show up with computers and we'd go through a series of step-by-step tutorials to upgrade everyone's digital comm skills quickly. And I don't do those sessions anymore. I still do do private sessions as, uh, Richard mentioned in the intro. But anyways, when I was doing the PRSA sessions, I always planned my New York workshops for early December. That way I could take my family and make a holiday trip out of it. My wife loves ballet and when my son was young, we'd dress him up in little suits and and a tie and we'd take him to see the Nutcracker. And one year we got front row center seats. And I'll never forget it. You could literally lean forward look down in the orchestra pit and, and and see the different instruments as they played along with the dancers on stage. And, and when the ballerinas came out and the principal dancers performed their solos and they'd spin around effortlessly on the tip of their toe like a music box fairy without moving a single muscle. And my jaw dropped and I thought, wow, I mean, that's fantastic um, because it looks so easy. But in reality, a pirouette is anything but that. The Disney Channel aired a series called On Point about the kids who try to get an apprenticeship with the New York City Ballet. It's very competitive. Only a handful of applicants are accepted. And these are the kids who are on trains for two hours after school to get into Lincoln Center to practice. They basically sacrifice their childhood for a shot in apprenticeship. And you realize that's why it's beautiful to see a ballerina turn on point, it doesn't start there. Just like a pirouette, a digital pivot also is a series of steps performed in a sequential order. Here you can see that logical order. The ballerina starts, by getting her stability and balance. And the digital pivot starts by getting your owned media presence in order, right? The first thing a reporter is gonna do when you pitch them a story is check your website. If it doesn't perform, you're not gonna earn media coverage. So step one is owned media and that's your website. And it's the most important and least understood part of the digital pivot. We're gonna focus on owned media today. But first, let me walk you through the other three steps quickly so you get the big picture. The second part of a pirouette is when the ballerina pushes off. And the second thing a journalist is going to do when they visit your website is scroll down to your footer menu. They're going to find your YouTube or your Instagram link, and they're going to check and see if you have any community. Now, you don't need to have a gazillion followers, that's not the point. But if you have 12 subscribers on YouTube, that could be a signal that you're not quite ready for the main stage. Journalists are measured by page views as well. If no one's engaging with you on social media, it makes it riskier for them to write about you. So step two is shared media or social media, and it's how you prove to journalists that a community finds your story engaging. Now, step three is earned media. And in ballet, that's the beautiful arabesque position where the ballerina extends her arms and it spins on point. And that's what we marvel at. And it's not unlike the admiration we have for our competitors when they're celebrated in the news media. But without taking the owned and shared media steps first, earned media coverage is impossible because journalists use your website and social media presence to qualify you. But if you pitch for earned media after your owned and shared media are in order, you have the greatest potential to drive growth, right? Earned media is considered unbiased, impartial. It's a third-party endorsement. It's kind of like a testimonial, only it's more legit because it's on someone else's website with a link back to yours. And referrals from news sites are among the most powerful endorsements. They have the greatest potential to drive traffic, which is why you need to be ready to convert that traffic before you create it, or what's the point of going on point? The sequence is the secret. Own media is the foundation. Shared media is the proof point. Earned media is the credibility and paid media amplifies engagement. Here's a cheat sheet that explains it. The digital pivot is leading a horse to water and making them drink. Only you're leading them to your website or owned media presence and hopefully getting them to take an intended action, right? Your website is where you lead horses to water and make them drink. It's your funnel. And there are many paths you can lead them to your website through. There's search, email, social, referrals, advertising. So a digital pivot is really about tunnels and funnels. You build tunnels to your funnels where you convert attention into transactions. Your own media presence is what journalists use to decide whether or not you're newsworthy. So there's a direct relationship between your owned and shared media presence and your ability to score earned media coverage. Right? You can't optimize your owned and shared media. Right? If you can't do that, your earned media prospects are bleak. So now that you understand the four-step digital pivot framework, let's dive into owned, which is the new earned media opportunity. There are steps within each step. This is the sequence for building an owned media presence. Now I'll go through each of these quickly, and then I'm gonna come back and give you actual examples from client work that I've been involved with in the last six months for each one. Uh, But let's just sort of walk through these quickly, starting with digital customer insights, right? You start by getting customer insight through digital analytics. Then you set benchmarks to gauge progress. Uh, Next, you build conversion funnels. So there's an intuitive path to convert attention into opportunity. Uh, After that, you figure out uh, what terms are most likely to be searched by someone looking for answers to problems you solve. Uh, Then you design a process for producing media that buyers will find useful, compelling, and entertaining, or stakeholders could be buyers, stakeholders, leads, candidates, members, um, whoever they may be. Uh, then you assemble a team with the necessary skills to produce elite level content. Uh, you nurture your contacts by repurposing that content through email. And then uh, you improve conversion rates by tweaking your content to increase transactions. So let me show you what I mean. Let's drill down into digital customer insights first because that's where it all starts. Paul De Podesta is a major league baseball team manager. He used performance data instead of traditional scouting and observation to decide which players to draft. And he inspired the movie Moneyball, and I profiled him in my book. There are three things Paul told me he does differently that led to his success. First, he left his gut out of it. He put average salary all around players before superstars. He played the averages rather than the outliers. Second, he realized that confirmation bias was his worst enemy. Did you know 3% of all men are six foot two or taller, but 30% of CEOs are six foot two or taller? That's confirmation bias because your height doesn't qualify you to be a CEO. De Podesta based his decisions on performance rather than irrelevant data. And third, he realized that his ego was not his amigo. So, to keep it in check, he had a decision making diary that he used to list out all the external factors that came into play when he made a decision so he could improve his human decision making algorithm. You can learn more about Paul's data-driven decision-making approach in my book, but the point is, if you own it, you also own the data, and today, data is more valuable than oil, but like oil, unrefined data is much less valuable. Social networks and third-party platforms give you very limited analytics, so your capacity to refine that data into business intelligence is much more difficult Platforms tend to hoard their data to themselves, but on own media, you can measure it however you like. And if you can measure, you can optimize. The dirty little secret about digital marketing that no one wants to tell you is this, and it's true for everyone. It's true for you, it's true for me. SEO, social media, and content marketing are just pieces of a much larger puzzle. You need to understand how they fit together. Now, um, these are sources uh, that people arrive at one of my clients' websites through. And here you can see the percentage of traffic. And here's what people do after they get to the site, right? The majority leave. But those who stay, uh, you can see how many pages they visited um, and what their bounce rate was, which was the number of single page visits. In this case, paid traffic, which is the most expensive, leaves the quickest, which is why you better make sure your own media presence converts before you start buying traffic. We can also see that traffic from display advertising has the highest bounce rate which means the largest number of single page visits. Here's the percentage of visitors that converted. Now for e-commerce, a conversion is a sale. For B2B marketers, it's a lead. For digital communicators, it's an email subscriber, a number one search ranking, or a social media follower. But in this example, we can see that paid traffic has the lowest conversion rate. If you look at sales by traffic source, you see almost 40% from paid traffic and less than 10% from organic traffic. Now that's a huge opportunity. You want to benchmark these traffic sources early on because you can't go do back and do it after the fact. It's, it's not available to you retroactively. In e-commerce, most brands get just 8% of their traffic from social media. 8% of their traffic from social media. Yet everyone thinks they need more social media followers. I think in my opinion, social media gets way more attention than it deserves. Unless you're a brand name, social media is useful as a proof point to cold visitors that you're legit. Um, But the truth is, I mean, I think social's easier than than owned media and everyone wants to be popular. So they focus on social media. But I think the most important point I wanna make about shared media or social media is that when you build an audience on Instagram, you're not building your audience, you're building their audience and they can take it away from you without warning anytime. So what exactly is an owned media presence? A lot of organizations trying to pivot to digital launch a website, become disappointed that it doesn't generate measurable returns and they can't figure out why, right? They spent all this money on a website that doesn't work. But just as a facade on the back lot of a movie studio is in a building, a website is just a portal into a digital business. It may look good, but it's non-functional, right? A website is just one piece of the puzzle. Your website is the presentation layer of your tech stack. It's the doorway through which prospective stakeholders interact with your brand. But in order to generate leads, you need web forms to collect contact information. That's actually different software. Then you need a place to store those leads after you collect them. And that's gonna be another piece of software called a CRM. customer relationship management platform, right? You want your subscribers to flow directly into your CRM. And in order to nurture those stakeholders, you need an integrated email marketing platform that talks to your CRM so that you're not manually updating it every time you want to send out to your list. This is a basic tech stack. These tools are all interoperable and they allow a team to collaborate cross-functionally in a digital environment. But if you wanna know what separates the winners from the losers in digital business, it's a collection of back-end software that crisscrosses through every aspect of the organization. And web analytics allow you to sort stakeholders by what pages they visited, how long they stayed, how many email campaigns they opened and clicked, right? You can start to separate the warm from the cold opportunities with technology and automate the process. This is a basic tech stack that you can use to convert content into contacts into cash. Here's a basic three page conversion funnel for a gated content offering on my site. In this case, it's my essential digital marketing skills report which lists the digital marketing skills clients want most right now. The first page of the funnel has promo art that advertises the report. If you click it, you're directed to a second page in the funnel, the landing page. After you fill out the form and submit it, a third page loads which is an acknowledgement that your your request went through. Then you get a white paper sent as an attachment to an autoresponder email. Uh, If I just sent you a link to the white paper, right, that person might tweet or share the link, and then people could get it without registering, so I couldn't leverage it to build my list anymore. So just as a pro tip, when you're choosing an email marketing platform, make sure it can do autoresponders with attachments of at least five megs. My email autoresponder messages are all text. I don't put photos in them and make them fancy uh, because I want them to look more like a personal email than a blast. And the message is sent from my personal email address. So if someone responds, I get it. Um, and I let the person know that in the email text, right? In in order to do this, your web forms have to be integrated with your CRM and your CRM has to be integrated with your email marketing platform. That's a tech stack. Uh, I have a chapter on this in my book, The Digital Pivot. I'm going to go through this one quickly. And let's get into the first case study. So Halleck Vineyard is a small family owned winery in Sonoma County uh, competing against giants. On the left, you see high volume search terms with the seed keyword Pinot Noir inside of it. Uh, In the wine business, red wine is where the money is because it's aged and it's more expensive. White wine is not aged and and is less expensive. Uh, And you can see that people searching for Pinot Noir also search for these top brands, right? Which are Maomi, Bella Gloss, and La Crema. Halleck is virtually unknown compared to these giants. So we came up with a content strategy to create search-optimized web, uh, wine reviews comparing our to these top brands. Um, one of the challenges in creating elite-level content is not having the subject matter expertise in-house to generate the content. Uh, so we recorded the wine interviews with Ross Halleck, the owner, and Harris Minor, the director of sales. And yes, we uploaded it to YouTube. Why not? but that wasn't our main content play. Um, There are many tools like this. We used a tool called otter.ai to convert the video file into a text transcript of the wine review. Then uh, we sourced a freelance writer uh, who was also knowledgeable about wine and hired her to convert the transcript into an article. And I used a variety of tools I assembled in this own media stack to tell the story. So here's the article on the client's blog and their website. This is kind of interesting by adding a table of contents with anchor links to the different sections of the article, we're able to get those anchors to show up as site links in Google search results. And you see I've, I've um, drawn sort of a box around those. Those are the same uh, links as the one in the table of contents. If you click those, it'll take you directly to that section of the article. Um, So it basically gives us more real estate and search results, which means we get more traffic. Um, By mentioning the competition, we're able to get found when people search our competitors, but that's not all. We're also affiliate resellers. So if someone buys our competitor's wine through our site, we earn a sales commission. So owned literally is the new earned media in this case. Now, if you search "Maomi versus Bella Gloss, which are the two largest Pinot Noir and winemakers in the U.S., our blog post comes up as the number one search result. There it is right there at the very top, Mail Me versus Bella Um, You literally could not do this with earned media placements. You literally could not do this with social media. If you want to do this, owned is the only way to go. And we know that if someone is comparing these two brands, we know that they're qualified buyers because these are the most high-end luxury wine brands there are for Pinot Noir right now. Here is a report, you see these little crowns. So the crowns indicate that we have what Google calls a featured snippet. A featured snippet appears at the very top of the search results page with an image like the two examples on the right. And I'll show you one more. In the world of own media, this is what we call above the fold because it's front and center at the top of the screen. It's the equivalent of a front page earned media placement. And this is why owned is the new earned media opportunity. In the second example, if you search Gorschtraminer pairing and Gorschtraminer is a type of German wine, Gorschtraminer pairing means what what should I serve with it? Uh, So this is searched by a uh, a, a knowledgeable consumer who's qualified to buy expensive wine. Um, You could see that we also have a people also ask result right here where the number one people also ask result. So again, by blogging about the competition, right, we're able to get found when people search for them. And if they buy the competitor's wine, we get paid. And if they buy our wine, we earn a new customer. For a small family-owned winery, I generated $200,000 in less than nine months without spending anything on advertising. This is all organic revenue right? This is all owned media. And this was during the pandemic, when their wine tasting room, which is their main source of business, was shut down. Um, interestingly enough, in September 2020, uh, we did a virtual wine tasting with Josh Groben. And that gave us a nice bump in sales. And you can see that illustrated by the blue line there in the graph. But you can also see that it was unsustainable. Right. On the other hand, our organic traffic, which is the orange line, um, is much less volatile. Uh, and that's our, org- that's our owned media traffic. So let's look at another one here. Here's another example. So the internet is flooded with mediocre content that we all have to sift through to find the good stuff. There's a difference between promotional and editorial content. And here are two examples. Uh, On the left is a typical content marketing uh, blog, in this case for a a site called 10th Street Hat, which is a e-commerce reseller of hats. And then on the right is a fashion um, uh, blog. In this case, it's um, uh, called Refinery29. So what I want you to do, I want you to look at them for three seconds. One, two, three, now close your eyes. And ask yourself which one looked more credible to you. Open your eyes again, right? Probably it's the one on the right, the Refinery29, which is the fashion blog rather than the one on the left. And let's look at why. I mean, we may not be conscious of these things, but they do send signals to us. So um, the first thing is, you know, when you look at a news site and at the top, I'm showing you a serif, Uh, versus a sans serif uh, script. Um, So on the top of the 10th Street, uh, um, you've got links to products. On the top of Refinery29, you've got links to content. Um, And the 10th Street blog, you've got a sans serif headline. Refinery29, you've got a serif headline you've got a topic category, you've got a serif sub-headline, you've got a sans-serif author byline, and you have an editorial photo. You've got a celebrity interview with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Here you've got a story about how to ship a hat. The promotional content on the Refinery29, say, is all offset. Uh, as an ad, right? There's editorial and promotional content on the page, but they're not mixed. On the content marketing blog, there's no separation between marketing content and editorial content, right? And so these things all send subtle messages to us about what's legit and what's not. Let's look at um, against another one. This is a, a particular blog post before we were looking at a homepage. Now we're looking at individual blog posts. Again, serif versus sans serif. We've got the sans serif headline on the content marketing blog. We've got the serif headline on the legitimate news site. We've got the author byline. For the content marketing blog, we have no author byline. If, if there's no author byline, the message is, well, this was written by committee, it's, it's not real. Um, Our photos are captioned because photos should be captioned. Uh, These photos aren't captioned, which tells us, oh, this is catalog imagery. This is marketing imagery. Uh, This is editorial imagery. And here we've got our advertising sort of offset on the side there. So here is a content marketing site that I built for a client. And you can see This site actually looks like an editorial site, and we're not even aware of it, right? But there are certain cues that we use to tell these sites apart. Um, If you want a really great example for typography design uh, for editorial content, check out the New York Times website. They, They do these annual eye tracking studies where they monitor pupils on the screen, and they actually design their typography to maximize session time. Uh, So when in doubt, just go to their site. Um, I don't like the term content marketing because when it's done right, it's really more like advertiser-friendly journalism. Um, So this is a blog I developed and maintained, and it's really not a content marketing blog. Yes, we are driving traffic, uh, but we're maintaining an editorial staff of 12. Uh, We're licensing celebrity photos on our articles. Um, You know, you might think that's too expensive. I'd never be able to afford that. And I mean, I'm not going to tell you exactly what this costs, but I will say we are doing this site for less than what we charged per month at Rogers and Cowan 20 years ago when I was director of promotion there. So here we've got our own masthead. We've got a serif headline. We've got editorial photos. We've got more editorial photos. We're doing stories about um, celebrities and hats. We're captioning our photos. We have author bylines. Here's a story from the blog, right? We're essentially creating a news hole. So this really gets into this difference between editorial and advertising content. Editorial content is designed to accommodate advertising. So the more editorial content you have, the more advertising you can accommodate. In publishing, that's called a news hole. So in this case, we have an article about the slash top hat. Um, We sell a completely different top hat than the one he's wearing, but you can see we've disclosed that it's an ad, we're bordering it out. We've got this on the sidebar, and we've even got the little ad disclosure there. So it's very clear to the visitor, hey, this is separate. It's an ad. And that's how we're able to earn the trust. And I think the second reason uh, we're valuable is because we're able to transfer link authority to collection web pages on the client's site. So here there's a link for the word Gucci or cowboy, Gucci cowboy hat. And you can see we're number one for all these Gucci cowboy hat related terms. Now, the truth is there's nothing really different about a Gucci cowboy hat from a regular felt cowboy hat. So this creates an opportunity for us to advertise our own felt cowboy hats against the imagery of the Gucci cowboy hats that were worn at this uh, Tom Ford event. So, again, because we are a separate site, separately owned business, we're basically building a media outlet that we're leveraging on behalf of the client to race a track. Um, oop, let me go back there, point out one last thing. So in addition to Gucci cowboy hats, you can see we're also ranking for women's cowboy hats. We're number two. These are highly competitive search terms. So if we're just gonna go out there and do more mediocre content marketing with catalog photos, we're not gonna get there, but this is inside of six months we're able to reach them up to basically own all the unbranded keywords in their industry by creating elite level content. Here you can see the revenue, right? These are the results of owned media. So we're converting at twice the rate of paid media and we're generating nearly three times the revenue that digital PR is, and we're generating four times the revenue that social media is. Right. This is why owned media is such a big opportunity. And that's why I believe owned is the new earned media opportunity. Uh, But it's only the first of four steps in a digital pivot. After two decades leading digital pivots, this is the framework I lay out in my book, which is available at Amazon or as an audiobook on Audible, read by me. I've been helping clients pivot to digital for over 20 years. Every business is different, and every keynote and training I deliver is different. I take the time to include case studies and examples from your industry. So if you need a keynote speaker for your next event or a trainer to accelerate digital literacy communications in your company, I'd like to hear from you. Thanks for joining this discussion about why OWNED is the new shared media opportunity. And again, you can get a complete sense of how the sequence of a digital pivot lays out by reading my book or listening to my audio book, if you prefer. So let's open it up for questions. All right.
1: Thank you, Eric. Very, very interesting. Uh, presentation there and some terrific tips and takeaways about owned media, the value of owned media, uh, how it compares with earned media, what are the benefits uh, of of owned media over earned media. Really enjoyed it. Um, So uh, terrific. Um, We're excited to hear more from you in the next portion of the event of the live Q&A. Let me first remind everybody that if you have a question for Eric, uh, you can click on the Q&A icon on the bottom rail of your screen there and type in your question and we'll get to as many of those as we can. That's all coming up in just a moment. Uh, so hang tight because we have a special offer for you. Uh, PR professionals know that having a top-rated media database is critical and knowing how to take full advantage of a database's features could mean the difference between a successful pickup and a one-way ticket to a reporter's trash folder. So let us help you get your winning pitches and can't miss stories into the right inboxes. Agility is regularly recognized for being easy to use, providing the best results, and for having outstanding customer service and support. Clients love our database because they can pinpoint the most relevant media contacts from from over 1 million journalists, influencers, and outlets, build lists based on advanced keyword search, send captivating personalized pitches, directly from the platform, and track engagement with in-depth reporting. So here's the special offer we mentioned. Lunch is on us if you sign up for a short, free, and personalized tour of our industry-leading database. And who doesn't love a free lunch? Uh, So uh, at the end of this webinar, you'll be directed to the sign-up page on our website. And as a thank you for your time and interest, We'll send you an Uber Eats gift card. So we hope to see you soon. Okay, let's get back to the show now uh, and uh, take a look at the uh, question queue here for Eric. Uh, we've got quite a few that are rolling in. Uh, let me first though ask you, Eric. Um, you know, websites are, as you say, the the, the backbone of our, of our owned media. Uh, and if you have a website that just doesn't seem to be generating new
0: business, What is going wrong
1: there?
0: Well, it could be a number of things, Richard. I mean, um, really it starts by looking at the digital analytics. I mean, digital analytics eliminate the guesswork. So the first thing I do when I start an engagement with a client is, you know, if they don't have their analytics in place, I get them set up. The three sort of baseline, baseline tools that I like to use, I like to use Google Analytics. And by the way, um, uh, uh, general analytics is going away next July, so it's time, if you're just getting started, just go straight to what, what we call Google Analytics 4 or GA4 and get versatile in that. Um, what's starting to happen now is as a result of privacy concerns, it's becoming more and more difficult for these platforms to accurately collect data from users. And so um, much of the sort of blank spots are starting to get filled in with AI. And that's kind of what a GA4 is all about. Um, so I'd get that set up first. The second thing I'd get set up is Google Search Console. And this is really a way to look at how Google's organic algorithm is indexing your site, uh, whether or not it's able to index your site and and crawl your site, what's working, what isn't. Uh, That's a critical tool. And the third tool I like that, you know, not everybody uses is something called Hotjar. There's actually a free version you can, you can take advantage of. It's basically a video session recording tool, and um, it'll anonymize any uh, information that gets entered into a field, but it will give you videotape recordings of people visiting your website. And so you can see, are they getting lost? Are they getting frustrated? Can they convert? Because what is the point in doing all this work to get people to your site if when they get there, you can't get them to take the action that they need? So again, you know that's why own media is step one. But you know the, step, the, the first part of own media is again analytics. Um, you know one of the great uh, examples, and it's in the book. Um, I spoke to Neil Patel, who does the you know famous uh, digital marketing blog, and he said he used um, Hotjar. to to basically figure out that when people went to his blog, they would go to the blog post and all they would do is just scroll right to the bottom and then they would leave. And he basically realized, my God, they're looking at how long the post is, thinking about hmm, how much time do I want to invest in this and then they're splitting. And then he started adding a new section at the bottom of each blog post where basically it was a conclusion, but it wasn't a conclusion. In the conclusion, he just teased what you would get if you read the article. And what started to happen now is people would go to the blog, scroll to the bottom, read the conclusion, go back up and read the rest of it. Now, if you didn't have session recording videos to see what's happening, you wouldn't know. You can also get heat maps that way and make sure people are are able to get through your site. So really step one is digital analytics.
1: I got it. Okay, good. All right. Those are some great tips. Um, Thank you for that, Eric. Um, Now, here here was an interesting uh, question someone pointed out about social media. Um, Can it not be considered owned media to some degree? Because uh, you're obviously owning your own posts, uh, even though there is a lot of sharing going on, and it's clearly a shared media platform. Uh, But under what circumstances would you consider your social posts owned?
0: Uh, Well, I mean if you ask that question to Donald Trump, he'll tell you the answer. I mean, you know, you can be deplatformed. People are deplatformed all the time. And the truth is they don't even have the, the uh, uh, customer service resources to process requests if you wanna try to retrieve an account that has been uh, taken from you. So getting deplatformed is, is an option um, and it happens all the time. So really social is not, um, uh, it's not an unknown channel. It, it is a shared channel. Mm-hmm. Um, the way to think about social, cause I'm not saying you shouldn't use social, but social is a, a stakeholder or customer acquisition channel. Owned is a customer retention channel. So really what you should try to do is use these social media channels to build your email list so that you can have a direct relationship with them through owned media. Had Donald Trump, when he did, when he was on president, when he had access to social media, had he been using those platforms to build an email marketing list, it wouldn't have mattered that he got deplatformed because it would have had everyone's email or everyone's mobile uh, phone address. Uh, but what happened was he launched a blog after he was deplatformed, couldn't build it up quick enough, and then killed it. Uh, the interesting thing is now we may find that Elon Musk gives him back his Twitter account, having now just bought it and starting to talk about how he feels it should be a free speech uh, venue. But uh, at the end of the day, social is not owned.
1: Got it. And that's a, uh, thanks for clarifying the distinction there um, because I can could, I could sort of see the confusion, uh, but uh, terrific. All right, now, uh, Sarah asks here, uh, you gave that a great example of the winery case study. And she wonders and a few other people alerted uh, um, made a point of this in in different words. But don't you have the concern that you're also sending business to your competitors uh, the way you're mentioning them in those articles?
0: So I guess if I was Naomi or Bella Gloss, the market leaders, I would have a concern. But I'm a this is a tiny company. I mean, they're doing, you know less than 10,000 cases a year, these other guys are doing a million cases a year. So there's really nowhere to go but up for a small company like that. I mean, you know, I I heard it said back in the PR days, and it's something you see uh, political candidates do a lot when they wanna get noticed. Uh, If you wanna get noticed, pick a fight with the market leader. So I would say, uh, you know, this is definitely the way to go. And this concept of you versus your competitor is a common marketing concept now, particularly in SaaS, uh, pretty much any SaaS platform that you're considering buying. If you search the platform competitors, you'll get the competitors. And then if you search you uh, the platform you're considering versus one of the competitors, you'll find that their content marketing people are all over that already, because that is the bottom of the of the funnel. That's right before the decision point. It's a very high value point to sort of insert yourself into the consideration model and try to get the conversion. So um, I I don't have any concern with a small company uh, picking a fight with a market leader.
1: I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess it is kind of silly to pretend those, those big brands don't exist, you know, uh, when you're, uh, when you're writing up. There's no volume.
0: There's no volume search volume for how, Compared to the clients Pinot Noir, compared to m- these big market leaders Pinot Noir, there's no search volume. Now, now, mind you, this is a organic marketing, content marketing strategy. It's not an advertising strategy. So I I wouldn't advertise the other the competitor's name in the ads. It would just be me there. Um, I wouldn't mention them in my special events. I wouldn't mention them in my trade show booths. I wouldn't mention them when I'm calling on a, a country club or a restaurant or a, a wine store to buy the wine, but when it comes to search, it's an opportunity.
1: Got it, got it, got it, great. All right, thank you for that. All right, here's a question from Ilse. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, she wants to know, or, or they want to know, do you have any references of how uh, this strategy would apply to B&B, uh, B2B landscape, You know, where the buying journey would be less direct, well, it's the same
0: the thing. Content, yeah. It's the same exact thing. The only difference is that the, you know, the conversion is a micro conversion and it's the acquisition of a lead. The lead goes into the CRM and then it gets nurtured through email, hopefully to a decision point where they're ready to talk to a sales rep. So it really is the same exact model. Obviously, the content is different, but the content is always going to be content designed to answer questions or, or, or problems people have when they're searching for answers to problems that your product solves. So um, once you have that intelligence, once you've done that keyword research and you know, Oh, people who aren't aware of what I provide have this problem and they search this problem. And then once they search that problem, they start to become problem aware and then they start to search for solutions. Uh, Once they start to search for solutions, they become brand aware and then they start to search for brands. So that's sort of, you know, top funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel. And really, I mean, if you're gonna be effective with B2B, you wanna be visible at the top of the funnel, the middle of the funnel and the bottom of the funnel because they can take a left turn and buy from someone else at any point uh, in that customer journey. Um, So it really is about sort of looking at what points of the funnel you're visible at against what keywords, not branded keywords, but keywords indicative of a problem someone's trying to solve and then creating elite level content that gets found there. Um, and I think that that sort of elite level content, you know, it, it bears a moment of, um, of consideration. So, you know, when you Google something, you know, there's one number one search result. That's it. Just one. Um, and you basically consider that to be the most important result for that term. And so that is going to be elite level content. Um, if you're not creating content that's better than that content, you're not going to rank. So really, I mean, strategy is great and doing the background of the homework is is great, but you really have to do the work, right? What does it take to produce elite level content? Well, you're not going to do it with a marketing person who's writing ads. You're not going to do it with a copywriter who's writing web copy. You know who's going to do it? A PR person who understands journalism. And so we really are I think in an advantageous position to lead the own media charge, because we really are the only ones in the organization who understand the difference between editorial and promotional content. Um, so uh, you know I think that's something to really think about because what's happening now is advertising is becoming less effective because targeting is becoming more difficult as a result of privacy concerns. Um, Facebook lost what is it, a third of their of their value, their stock the biggest one day drop of a stock ever. When Apple said, you know what, we're no longer gonna give Facebook access to uh, customer data on the iOS platform, unless they opt in, 30% of their value gone overnight. So what that tells you is, Targeting is going to become less effective. So organic is going to become more effective. And, and I and I look at like what I see with my clients, because I, I don't typically handle the advertising. I see advertising become less expensive, become more expensive, less effective. And I see organic becoming uh, more effective and less expensive. So I think there's a huge opportunity for getting into organic because people don't know how to do it. No one's done this. It's an entirely new category. It's kind of the gray line between advertorial content and editorial content. And, you know, there's a strategy that will appease the risk appetite of any client. If it's not doing the competitor strategy, there's some other strategy. Uh, But it's essentially about looking for a content vacuum, looking for an area where there's really a glut of good content, useful content, compelling content entertaining content uh, that engages buyers of your product, whether they're consumers or B2Bs, whether they're association members, uh, whether they're uh, candidates you're trying to recruit, to hire for your company, it really doesn't matter, right? It's about creating content that's going to engage them and get them to convert. If it's B2B, the conversion's a lead. If it's B2C, the conversion is usually an e-commerce sale. Um, that's, that's pretty much the game. Um, and I, I, really do think it's a very exciting time to be, uh, in PR and to be, uh, in owned media.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, those are great distinctions you made there. Uh, and thank you for explaining that, Eric. Um, now let me just ask you generally, you know, what do you think are the most common mistakes people make when they're trying to make this digital pivot, uh, and trying to get,
0: uh, you know, this kind of content set up? It's a great question. So Richard, you've been publishing in the PR trade for like as long as I've been around, you know? So you have incredible skill when it comes to creating editorial content that will appeal to advertisers and readers alike. You know how to find that middle ground. But you know, that skill is not something that's been germane to the marketing department. It really is a new skill. Um, I think PR is best suited to take the charge because we're the ones who are closest to journalism and closest to editorial. Um, but I think the biggest mistake people have is like, you know, taking catalog photos and trying to create editorial content, uh, you know, hiring a, a web, using the, the marketing writer, the web copy person to write marketing blog posts, you know, that aren't interesting. Um or, you know, not even really perceiving the difference between elite level content and mediocre content because it really does take a high degree of, of, of literacy. And most people don't read anymore. You know, most people really don't. They they look at texts and they scroll. You know, to, to do this right, you know, Google's algorithm is still text-based. You've got to be able to write. And if you're going to keep the reader, it's got to be interesting, it's got to be compelling. And so if you don't have those skills or if you don't perceive the difference between elite level content and mediocre content, I mean, those are going to be real challenges for your organization. So I think it's really about acquiring the skills, getting the skills in-house to be able to lead the charge. And the truth is you don't have to be an editor or a journalist to lead the charge. You just have to know how to sequence the pivot. Uh, Because if you can sequence it, you know that you need to, you know, dig, dig your trenches before you pour your foundation. Um, you can't build a roof if there's no house to put it on. So it really is about sequencing, which is why I think, you know, the secret is the sequence.
1: That's interesting. And uh, very poignant, I think, that you pointed out earlier that that's a job best left to PR, you know, not marketing. Uh, and, uh, you know, the traditional, you know, advertorial type of people who, who run those channels
0: uh, normally. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're the ones who understand impartiality. We're the ones who understand unbiased because we're the ones who write the press releases. And if, if they're too loaded, people ignore them. So we have to write them in reverse pyramid editorial format. Uh, we, you know, anyone who's good at PR and good at placements reads a lot. So, I mean, you understand the format of journalism and what works and what doesn't. Um, and I, I think there's really no one else in the organization closer to that than us.
1: Right, I agree with that uh, 100%. Um, yeah, thank you for clarifying that, Eric. All right, now, Lene, you you alluded to this a little bit before, earlier, but um, you know, if you're a small business trying to compete with these giants, you know, uh, say you're competing with Amazon or Yelp yeah. or something, you know, <clears throat> what particular tactics can you take, you know, with your own media that that uh, you know that would kind of cut through the clutter, I guess you could say, or you know, get you to rise above.
0: Well, I think, honestly, I think the easiest thing to do is to publish consistent elite content on a regular basis. And, you know, it's actually not that hard to do that. It used to be really hard to find writers. There, frankly, are all these freelancer uh, marketplaces now where you can find writers who will write your stuff for, you know, $0.08 to $0.20 a word. I mean, if you think about that, that's actually not that expensive. And if you move, say, on a blog twice a week and you do the strategy work and you brief the stories and you know what keywords you want to rank for and you organize the content for the writer so that they can write something that's going to be useful, you really are going to outperform. Obviously, some sectors are going to be more competitive than others, but I find particularly in B2B, there's so much opportunity because there are so many sectors where there's a glut of content. There's a vacuum of good information. If you are in a small business and you're searching keywords uh, that would be searched by someone who has a problem that you solve and you find a bunch of low-quality content coming up in search results that's a huge opportunity for you because now all you have to do is create better content than all this garbage content. And the truth is most of what I find online is garbage content. So like I can actually come on for a small business. I I just showed you two. These are small businesses with small budgets and I can get these guys ranking for major keywords that sells wine or sells hats or sells whatever business that is they're in in a relative short period of time against against Amazon, uh, just because they're getting found against keywords that Amazon is not.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Uh, very, very interesting uh, and good, good strategic advice there, Eric. Thank you. Now, how about this one? Um, and I thought this is a good question from an anonymous attendee that, uh, uh, you know, how do you think this kind of work is going to be impacted by, you know, GA4 the, uh, the latest, you know, Google analytics uh, platform. Uh, do you think that perhaps tracking is going to be uh, less effective? Uh, I do.
0: Mm-hmm. I, t- I totally do. Yeah, I, I do. I, I think traffic is going to be less effective. I think, you know, GA4 is Google's attempt to say, hey, you know what, um, first of all, we don't want to store all this data anymore because it costs us too much money because they said they're going to limit now to 12 months of data. Uh, but two, we don't have the data anymore because it's we're getting blocked. So what we're going to do is we're going to use artificial intelligence to try to fill in the gaps. And yeah, I mean, if you look now at GA4, I mean, it's really tough to get a lot of the same metrics that we used to be able to get really easily from universal analytics. Um, So I think it's tough. Um, At the same time, you know, we're still going to be able to see big picture uh, revenue through organic, revenue through paid, revenue through referral, uh, revenue through affiliate, Um, revenue through email. So I think, you know, being able to measure uh, revenue by traffic source will still be there, but in terms of being able to really drill down and profile uh, and refine information, like at the level we'd like to, at the level they refine oil into gas. uh, Yeah, that's definitely gonna get tougher. And I think all the more reason that if you don't build your beachhead now in organic, it's just gonna get more and more difficult each day
1: right yeah i yeah boy yeah that paints a pretty good picture of of that uh, of how that's going to all play out a little ominous but uh but but a good picture thanks eric and uh we have reached the top of the hour here as you can see but we cannot uh, avoid uh asking about uh, a little bit more about seo so let me just ask you eric uh what what are the most important qualities uh, that you need to keep in mind when you're trying to effectively use SEO uh, with your uh, you know, homepage or website sure. or
0: digital marketing in general? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so big question, and I'll give you a big answer. Okay, here's the number one thing you need to know about, about Google search and SEO. The secret to coming up first for a keyword search is really just having the best content for that keyword search. So if you wanna come up first for a keyword, yeah, there's all sorts of technical stuff you need to know and mumbo jumbo, and that's important, but that's probably 20% of it. 80% of it is just creating better content than what's ranking number one already. So just look at the top four results and ask yourself, you know, can I create better content? Just a little uh, story. I remember once getting a call from a guy saying, I'll pay you anything if you can get me to come up number one for language translation. And so I Google language translation and I see that Google um, translate comes up first. And then I look at his site and it's, um, it's a uh, second language. English is a second language training school. And I say, well, uh, we may be able to get you to come up first, but we've got to do something that we've got to build a better site than Google translate. And he said, I really like my site. I don't want to change my site. I just want to come up first. And I guess that the reason I tell the story is because, There's a connection between the two. People miss that. They think, oh, I'm going to hire some firm. They're going to sprinkle pixie dust on my site and I'm going to come up first. It doesn't work that way. It's about the integrity of the content. It's about creating the best content. And few people want to do the work. So so what happens is they spend money on Google Ads because they know they can buy the first position. as easier. Or they do Google, they do social media because that's easy. It doesn't require a lot of technical work. But for those who roll up their sleeves and do the hard work around SEO and own media, those are the ones that really have, I, I think, a barrier to entry that they can enjoy for decades. I can tell you for some clients that I've SEOed, particularly in B2B, I'm able to get these guys ranking number one for years without doing anything else once they're in the number one position. So it's a huge opportunity.
1: Right, that's terrific. All right, well, thank you, Eric, for those for that explanation, clarifying that all that about SEO and uh, and as we have reached the top of the hour, Thank you, Eric, for for all that insightful commentary you've made. Uh, Thanks for having made. me. Sure. You you. you are certainly a go-to source for this kind of thing. I recommend you check out Eric's book there uh, and uh, all that sage advice, excellent high-level points he made. uh, Terrific. So thanks for spending some time today, Eric. We really appreciate it. Um, And uh, thank you all for tuning in to this month's webinar. We'd love to know what you thought. You can provide us your feedback using the link to the short survey that you'll find in the chat now. Uh, and let me remind everybody, you'll be receiving a recording of this event to share and re-listen within the next 72 hours. And that this webinar series is brought to you by Agility PR Solutions. You can check out their services at agilitypr.com. All right, now looking ahead to May, uh, we'll be joined by a panel group featuring Adriana Hosford. She's the Vice President of Q- Communications at Well Health Incorporated. Carolyn Bose the Director of Public Relations at Twilio Twilio, and uh, Estella uh, Weinman. Uh, She's the Head of Communications of PR at BetterUp for a discussion of all things comms and PR. You don't want to miss that. Uh, So uh, make sure you pay attention, follow your emails, subscribe to our emails and follow us on social media. So thanks again to Eric Schwartzman, and thanks to everyone for watching today. I'm Richard Carafell with Agility PR Solutions and editor of Bulldog Reporter. Stay safe out there and have a great day.
0: For more on how you can earn influence through Earn Media, get the Digital Pivot audiobook at digitalpivotbook.com.